Welcome to Sense and Sensibility, the Inflation Guy podcast. I am Michael Ashton. I am the Inflation Guy, and I am your host. And um, last week, uh, I was on a Market Huddle, the Market Huddle podcast, which is an outstanding podcast that you should check out if you haven't heard it before. Um, and and one of the things that I, I said on the market in uh, on that particular podcast, I want to I want to uh, talk a little bit more about today. Towards the end of, of my part of the podcast, I was asked to give a Byron Ween prediction. Byron Ween was a strategist for Morgan Stanley for many years. And, and at the end of every year, he would make 10 predictions uh, that had to have the following characteristic. It had to be something that uh, Mr. Ween had a believed had a better than 50-50 chance of happening, but that the market gave less than a one-third chance of happening. And that was always kind of neat, because at the end of the next year, he'd go and he'd evaluate how many of his hits and misses were, you know, actually happened, and hopefully more than half of them did. And, um, and so my prediction was that falling in that same mode of something that I think is a better than 50-50 chance of happening, but that the market does not uh, see much of a chance of, of it happening, um, is that I said the administration will experiment with wage and price controls. So today I want to talk about wage and price controls. I want to think about uh, why I think that that's the case, that that this is a much greater probability than anyone is thinking, um, and uh, why price controls don't work, and, and why it's really important for us to heavily resist any tendency to have wage and price controls in this country. So for the first part, I want to talk about why I think this is going to happen. And, and really, you know, in, in markets and in trading, you know, a lot of what you think is going to happen is really a, a sort of accumulation of clues and hints. And, and especially when it comes to uh, political or policy developments, um, you know, a lot of times you see something on page 36 of the paper and you kind of look at it and say, you know, that's something, that's something that just sounds like it could happen. And then you kind of watch as it gradually develops. I, when I was writing a, a daily commentary uh, for Barclays and, and other places on the street, um, I always sort of felt like, I needed to take my commentary and 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 stick it away for three months uh, before trading on it because um, I would tend to see things that were going to happen in the future and but that you couldn't possibly trade on now. If you traded on them now, you you'd you'd lose money. But they often came to pass, and and so sometimes figuring out how to make money on these things from a trading perspective is is difficult, um, but. The idea of looking into the future and seeing what potentially is out there that could cause trouble to your position um, or to your lifestyle—it's—it's um, it, an important—it's an important skill, and and I guess it's a risk management skill. It's looking around and seeing what could go wrong and worrying about that all the time. I think you know what I think that's kind of a fixed income mindset. By the way, I'm getting a little bit of field here, but. 
I think it's a fixed income mindset because equity guys are sort of always thinking about the upside and, and you know, what could go right to make me a lot of money. But bond guys are always looking at what could go wrong so that I don't get par back. I don't get my money back. And so we always have to worry about what's going to blow up the issuer, you know, that uh, this company is going to go under and I'm not going to get my money back, you know. Uh, so it maybe it's sort of a pessimistic mindset. I don't know. But but looking and thinking about those risks. Anyhow, um, again, the way you sort of accumulate the sense is you kind of look for these different clues. And lately, there have been sort of a few clues being dropped here and there that are are disturbing. I'm going to read a couple from a couple of articles that were in major periodicals having to do with price controls. And to me, they sound very much like trial balloons. Um, you know, let's, let's first, uh, stipulate that we have a price, we have an inflation problem in this country when we have a kind of all developed countries right now have, have an inflation problem. And, and so it, would not surprise me to see some sort of you know, trial balloons about how do you handle that particular problem, um, and including some dumb trial balloons. But what got me, what has gotten me is that it wasn't just one trial balloon. Sometimes you have someone put out a stupid idea and it gets shot down or whatever. We've seen multiple trial balloons, and that's concerning. So, like I said, I'm going to read. I'm going to read uh, some larger. Uh, pieces of 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 these articles because because they're 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 concerning they're scary and we should all be scared of them. So the first one, uh, it's actually the second, the more recent one, um, temporarily, was on August 9th in the Washington Post and it was entitled "The Way to Fight Inflation Without Rising Interest Rates and a Recession," and it was by Meg Jacobs and Isabella Weber. Keep the that. Second name, Isabella Weber. Keep that name in mind. That name comes up again later. And again, I'm just going to read a couple of passages here. Uh, in this article, it says, But there is an alternative to causing them more misery and pushing down wages. Instead, Congress can stabilize prices and reduce inflationary pressures through selective price caps, combined with investments to increase the resilience of our economy. The Inflation Reduction Act is a momentous step in the right direction. Carefully selected caps could buy time for the important supply-side measures in the legislation to come into effect while also tackling short-term price spurts driven by today's emergency conditions. Okay, so that sort of sets up the, the, the basic meme here is that, hey, this is just something that happened to us, not our fault, and we're just going to, to you know, control prices uh, just until everything gets under control. While price controls have a bad reputation politically and a record of mixed success, they worked in one of the most important cases in American history, World War II. Okay, they didn't work in World War II. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a second. They did in the sense that prices stopped going up because if you do put a price controls in, then prices don't go up. But that doesn't mean they worked, right? I mean, I, I can... You know, if I've got a thermometer and I remove all of the markings on the thermometer and I make sure that it only shows 98.6 and then I, I take temperatures, you know, and I say, well, look, everybody we measured had a temperature of 98.6. We must have a great solution to fevers and colds. That would be stupid. 
obviously, if you if you change what the actual thing that you're measuring, then you're going to get the, the measurements that you want. So it doesn't mean it worked, but they present more evidence and they give a little history. They say, you know, the Roosevelt administration um, responded by imposing price ceilings across the board with particular intention focused on sectors that contributed most to inflation and were vital to the global crusade for freedom. For meat and fuel, for example, consumers received ration coupons that ensured a fair supply at controlled prices. I'm just putting it on the, out on the table. Ration coupons. Is that something that we just, just, just think, about, think about a world where we have to have ration coupons to get meat? Additionally, government boards presented a clear way to determine what was excessive each company, shopkeeper, landlord, or butcher, was entitled to make a profit, but not to profiteering. Okay. Um, it was up to each housewife not to pay more than ceiling prices. If they spotted a violation, they could report the profiteer to a local volunteer board, and he would have to pay a fine. This, to me, sounds really scary. <laughs> We're going to have citizens reporting on businesses who are, quote, profiteering, where profiteering is defined as they're charging a price that they think people will pay. Uh, okay. The next line of the article is, is the, the funniest part, and you just have to stop and take a breath. The next line is, the result was a total success. Now, if you have any friends or relatives who were around in World War II and we're on the home front in World War II and can remember these ration coupons. They probably also remember uh, various ways of making the things that were not as tightly rationed go further. So my favorite is a, uh, and if you go and you look for World War II recipes, you'll find things like bean loaf, which is meatloaf, but it doesn't have meat in it. It's only beans. And there are lots of other things that are, Disgusting, truly disgusting, um, but you had to because you couldn't get a hold of these things. Now, why could you not get a hold of meat? Why could you not get a hold of that? Was it because there wasn't enough meat? Well, there wasn't enough meat at the price that, that uh, they were able to charge, and so there were shortages, but we'll get to this in a second. The article goes on, when the government abruptly ended price controls after the war against the best advice of top economists, prices shot up. Okay, so that's not a sign that prices should have stayed that that prices should have stayed under control. Prices shooting up is the indicator that tells you that they were too low. There was not the market clearing price, and so it, it wasn't that removing the price controls caused inflation. Again, it just allowed you to actually measure the inflation that was there. I put out a blog some time ago uh, that. Um, was shortages are unmeasured inflation. And that's really important to remember, that if you have a shortage, it's the same thing as having inflation. It's just measuring it in terms of quantity you couldn't get instead of a price that's higher than you wanted to pay. So that's what happens when you force a shortage then be because you aren't allowing prices to go up and then you remove that cap then you get prices, you know, the shortage goes away and you get the prices going up. So what that sentence did not say was, it said prices shot up. It didn't say, and meat became available again. 
But that was that was the consequence, is that prices going up meant that the goods were now available again. And then, um, again, something which gets repeated in, in a later article, uh, they talk about Nixon's price controls, and they said, oh, in Nixon's, it didn't work as well because uh, Nixon's motives were more political than anything else, as opposed to Roosevelt, who clearly had not a political bone in his body. Um, so again, a little bit of a, a little bit of terrifying, um, and uh, and that was from the beginning of August. Now, if that was the only article, I would say funny, uh, except that it 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 tickled my brain, and I said, I've seen this before recently, and back in January. So this, by the way, that was the Washington Post, okay? So this is not a fly-by-night uh, uh, publication. Back in January, there was another article uh, in the New York Times uh, entitled, Price Control Set Off Heated Debate as History Gets a Second Look. Just for the record, there's no debate, price controls don't work, and there's no second look here. The, 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 the history... history you can give a second look to history. It's not going to tell you anything different. Um, and this is a little bit more of a, the article was by Ben Castleman and uh, Gianna Smilek. Um, and, and it was a more balanced article. It had a section, why do most economists dislike price controls? Um, saying that in most basic economic models, when the government imposes, imposes an artificial cap on prices, uh, supply can't meet demand, resulting in shortages. And most economists argue that that basic logic still holds, um, but in the real world, there are a variety of factors, okay? Um, while some economists say price controls on specific products can make sense in specific situations to prevent price gouging after a natural disaster, for example, most argue that they are a poor tool for fighting inflation, which is a broad increase in prices. So, so far, this article seems like it's a much more reasonable look at the, a bad idea of price controls. Then there's a section that says, have price controls worked in the past? And again, they go on and say, Nixon failed, but not all attempts at reigning in prices have been such clear failures. During World War II, Roosevelt administration, blah, 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 blah. Um, and, uh, and then in the following section, why do some economists want to reopen the debate? Uh, one of the paragraphs begins, Isabella Weber, an economist at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, has pointed to the period after World War II when the government quickly lifted wartime price controls and inflation spiked. Isabella Weber, where have I heard that name before? Oh, that's right. She was one of the authors of the article in the Washington Post. So who is Isabella Weber? Because she's obviously really an important economist here. Um, so, uh, you know, far be it for me to, you know, cast aspersions in any, any particular uh, economist, especially somebody who has both a PhD in development studies from Cambridge, but also but has a PhD in economics from the New School for Social Research. The New School for Social Research being a, a small think tank uh, college in, in New York City. Um, and that should probably, the New School for Social Research, just the title should tell you a little bit about where we're going with all of this. So essentially, you know, uh, what, what this article says 
and I guess there's more to it here, um, is, is, you know, if you're going to have price controls, then you have to have rationing because you're going to have shortages. And, and so it's important that you have, um, that you have the right people getting the stuff. And so you have to have, you know, coupons or something like that. And so if you go complete, if you're going to have price controls, then it's important to go completely socialist and have the government controlling everything. The last section of this article is entitled, What Would Price Controls Look Like in 2022? Um, actually, this is the next to last section. And uh, it, it says in, in this section, it points out that the pandemic has disrupted supply chains. Now, that's true, okay? But also, as I pointed out in this podcast a number of times, it isn't just the pandemic disrupting supply chains that has caused this inflation. Demand also disrupted supply chains. We had, by handing out money to everybody and having the, the Fed print all that money, the demand for, for uh, goods spiked. And, and it spiked and clogged up all the ports. That wasn't because the supply chain was somehow screwed up. The demand for goods was just dramatically off the charts, more than it had been, more than we'd ever seen before. You can't say that's the, the pandemic snarling the supply chains. That clearly is an unforced error you created by creating too much demand. And so all of this, this price control thing, is really a cure in search of a disease. We know what caused the inflation. It was not the pandemic. It was the response to the pandemic. Uh, this is a, a funny line in the article. Fans say lower prices would give an incentive to companies to sell as much as they can possibly produce at the permitted price, uh, which is funny because that's exactly the opposite of the prediction of, of economics, which is that if you, if you have lower prices, that, that companies produce less to sell at that price, not more, but but we're not we're getting a little bit loose with the uh, with the economics here. Um, notably, hardly anyone today is calling for a cap on how much wages can rise to go alongside limits on price increases. Now that is that's the end of that article, and and that's partly the clue. Why are we not limiting uh, wages if we're limiting? prices? And the answer is because we don't give a rat's ass about companies. You know, we're, this is a, this is a, a political trial balloon. Um, there's uh so now we actually get to policy so that, you know, okay, so this is trial balloons, whatever. That doesn't mean anything. Well, recently a, um, a congressman, uh, Jamal Bauman from New York, Democrat, recently uh, introduced a bill that would create a congressional task force analogous to the wage and price boards. Uh, the task force would have subpoena power to examine corporate earnings in housing, healthcare, energy, and transportation. And Bauman said, don't worry, quote, this is not about controlling prices across the entire economy. It's really looking at where price gouging is happening, where supply chain shortages are happening. Unquote. Okay, so this is not just the weird theory. We actually have some policy going out there and some bills going into Congress. So that's there's three reasons there now. So we have the Washington Post article. We have the Earlier Times article. We have uh, Rep, 
uh, Representative Bauman. Um, and then the fourth overarching point is that this is right now we have an administration in a party uh, that is in real trouble with elections coming up. And they're in real trouble because the number one uh, issue for voters is inflation and it is not under control. And so we see things like when when uh, uh, President Biden accurately extolled the fact that headline inflation was unchanged month on month this in, in August or in July, um, people just went totally crazy on him. You know, it's a throwaway line most times, but right now with inflation, you know, in the sevens, eights, nines, um, it, it sounds like he just doesn't really know what's happening. But they really want to, they would like to control the message. They can't control the message. So what I think has a decent chance of happening is, hey, we can force inflation to go down. We can guarantee that next year prices will only be going up 1% because we will simply allow them to only go up 1%. We'll just make a law. And I don't think it will be that explicit that we're going to keep all prices. All prices have to only go up 1%. You know, but I, I do think there will be some targeted uh, price caps. Um, hopefully we won't actually have a, a government board setting prices. That's very Soviet. Um, now, why would this happen when, when with the exception of, uh, of uh, Isabella Weber, we all know that price controls are bad. Um, keep in mind that during COVID, politicians spent stupid amounts of money, even though they had to realize that it was inflationary. They had a theory, modern monetary theory, that told them, don't worry about it. And even though it was absolute gibberish and normal economists and good economists people who knew what they were doing, told them it was gibberish. It was still really attractive to kind of go and believe this fable and to, and to be able to point to modern monetary theory and say, see, you know, we had every reason to think this was not going to be inflationary because we had this great theory out there. It is too attractive to a politician. To a politician, the most important good is their own good. <laughs> and so... I think that it is frightening to put out to see that that there's this framework being hung out there for how you could think about how price controls could actually be positive. We're just temporarily helping things along until everything gets back to normal. Um, that's that's dumb, but it is it is dumb but plausible. And, and plausible enough that a politician can say, yeah, I can vote for that because, by the way, it would also help me a ton if I could point to the CPI number and see the CPI number had plunged a lot. Okay, second section, why price controls don't work. So it seems silly to even have to, to tell this. And, and I'm sure that my listeners here on the Inflation Guy podcast. I'm sure you guys are, are smart enough that I probably don't have to say this, um, but I feel like it needs to be said in case Isabella Weber's listening. Um, 
the basics of supply and demand are are pretty simple to visualize. And not to say that once you get to advanced microeconomics and Halvarian stuff that it doesn't get mathematically, you know, more painful than it needs to be. But the basics of how it works are very simple to visualize. Price is a teeter-totter, okay? It's a seesaw. On one side of the seesaw sits all of the buyers. On the other side sits all of the sellers. If there are lots more buyers jumping on to one side, then the teeter-totter drops on that side. And the fulcrum, in order to make everything balanced, the fulcrum has to move, okay? And if you move the fulcrum, then you can get that to balance even with more buyers and, and, and fewer sellers. It just means that, that the fulcrum, which is price, has to move in one direction. If then people, those, those buyers drop off, then the fulcrum moves back the other direction. If more sellers jump onto the, the, uh, the teeter-totter, the fulcrum moves that other, the other direction as well. So it's a simple way to visualize it. It's a simple theory. And yes, there are all kinds of complexities in the real world. There's behavioral, there's stick, the stickiness that happens. But that's the fundamental theory of price is what I've just given you, is that price is the fulcrum that balances the buyers and sellers. Okay. So what price controls say is that well, we don't like where this balanced. Okay, we have too many buyers, not enough sellers, and, and the fulcrum has moved way over to one side, and we don't think it should be there. So we're going to take the fulcrum, and we're going to move it to where we like it. And guess what happens? There's no balance. All of a sudden, the, the, if, you, if you move the, the fulcrum away, then all of a sudden, the side with all the buyers goes down and goes thunk on the ground. There's no balance. How do you then balance it? If you say that the fulcrum has to be in this location, how do you balance the, the, the teeter-totter? Well, you have to take buyers away. And you take buyers away by making a shortage. And so those buyers can't buy anything. And then, voila! So if you force the price, then the quantity has to change. And if you, force, if you let both things happen, then it will magically go and balance if it's truly a free market and there's good information and all that stuff. Um, so does this solve the problem to push the fulcrum to one side and say, oh, there's no inflation? And to make it balanced, we, we shove everybody off the teeter-totter by creating a, a shortage. It doesn't solve the problem. Um, and, and furthermore, the people that you've pushed off the teeter-totter who can't get access to the thing anymore are pretty upset. And they should be upset because they before they had a way to get what they wanted and what they were willing to pay for, and now they can't because you've shoved them off the teeter-totter. You've created a shortage. And, and if the problem is, is really money... Okay, if the problem is, a fundam is, is fundamentally that there's just too much money in the system, then what happens when you shove people off the teeter-totter is that they can respond in, in various ways. They might go on to a different teeter-totter. They're like, they can't, they can't be on the red seesaw. So I'll go over to the blue seesaw. And then the, the balance of the blue seesaw is going to be off. Similarly, people can't, uh, you're not going to let them buy uh, uh, beef. 
you're going to force them to go buy beans and the price of beans is going to go, go nuts. Okay. It's not irrelevant that, um, I mean, it's not like, you know, they, they, they sort of have to, to sit there and, and you've just solved the problem by, by manipulating this one market, you've caused problems in other markets. The person that need, was pushed off the teeter-totter might also go meet, you know, he's a buyer. He might go meet a seller, but just not meet on a teeter-totter. That's called the black market. And um, and then they can transact whatever price they want. It's just not in the ecosystem. It's not on the very the transparent, uh, you know, seesaw that's, that's underneath the bright lights. It's now in the shadows somewhere. Uh, most assuredly, in either case, they are not better off. They're either paying you know, a black market price, um, which is not well discovered, or they've gone to a product that, you know, the blue teeter-totter when they wanted the red teeter-totter. Okay. So this is why, okay. So now the people you push off are less well off. So what is the government response now to this? The people who want to have price controls, that's when they say, well, we have to ration it. Okay, so not only do we have price controls and we have shortage, but now we have to ration it because there's a shortage. And we have to ration it so that the right people get on the teeter-totter. What is the right person? It's whoever the government says is the right person. And, um, and that is a very, very disturbing situation, but it's entirely consonant with the other messages that come from the people who, are, who talk about price controls. So why do we need to be ready to resist this as, uh, if this, as I think it will, starts to gather more momentum, uh, if there's more, um, more traction? I don't want someone else controlling my teeter-totter. I want to be able to get on the teeter-totter and go up and down and balance and do all of that without anybody else's uh, intervention. I don't want the government putting their fingers on the scale. I don't want a citizen board or government board figuring out what fair prices are, where the teeter-totter should balance. I don't want a ration book. I really don't want to have to cut out a, a, you know, a, a ration stamp every time that I want to buy um, beef jerky. I don't want to see a lower CPI figure. I want to actually have lower inflation. And seeing a lower CPI figure is like my analogy earlier with the, uh, with the thermometer. The, the lower CPI figure is the measurement, and we can get that to say whatever we want. It doesn't change the fundamental fact of an imbalance between the amount of money in the system and the amount of goods and services uh, that are out there. I want politicians to experience pain from their bad choices. I, not me, I'm not the one who should have the pain from their bad choices of printing too much money and spending it like drunken sailors, okay? Politicians now are looking at high inflation and they're facing potential pain at the ballot box. They should, that's the way it's supposed to work. You do something that hurts the majority of people out there and you should pay, face pain at the ballot box. I also want other policymakers to be able to see how screwed up this is so that they can, they can realize 
the fruits of their actions. You know, the Federal Reserve, uh, totally culpable in this because they printed the money that Congress then spent. And and they shouldn't be allowed to get away with saying, oh, well, it's, it's supply chain. Oh, well, you know, um, it's... Uh, it's, you know, now we have these wage price controls, so everything is is unclear. We don't really know what happens, but we're pretty sure it was just transitory. I want everything to be crystal clear so that we, when we look back in, in the history books later, we will know really clearly what the actions the government took were and what the results of those actions were. Inflation is bad. The only thing that would be worse would be centralized socialism in the name of controlling prices and output. We are getting perilously close to the five-year Soviet plan. It is a scary thing. Um, you know, there are, there are lots of things that we sort of looked the other way and excused in 2020 and 2021 because of COVID. We're now out of COVID. We're trying to solve these problems. We're not going to solve these problems by, by going full Soviet. We're going to solve these problems by opening up markets and letting the system adjust. And guess what? It's going to be at higher prices. <laughs> that's, that's how the system adjusts. And that's a lesson to be learned as well. But just because we don't like the lesson doesn't mean that we can simply change the rules. This is not... Kirk's Kobayashi Maru scenario. Uh, we, we can't make the, this go away, um, except with good economics, replacing the bad economics. More bad economics doesn't make it any better. Anyway, that's enough of my rant today. You can tell when I get on a real rant because these podcasts get longer. Usually I'm in the sort of the 20 to 25 minute range. This one is coming up on 35 minutes, but that's that's because I, I ranted. But this is a really important topic. And, and I think it's a topic that so far is under a lot of people's radar. And it shouldn't be. It's something we really should be aware of. We should be talking about it. We should be making sure that, that everyone who's thinking about this understands that we're not going to put up with it. That it is not something that, you know, they can paper over inflation with, with this and, and, uh, and say that they solved our problem. We're not going to be had that way. Um, there are lots of other ways for us to be had. It's not this way. Anyhow, that's all for today's podcast, though. Uh, if you have opinions on this, and I'm sure many of you do, you can contact me, um, inflationguy at enduringinvestments.com, or, or you can leave a, a comment on, on Podbean where the podcast is, or uh, you can follow my blog, mikeashton.wordpress.com. Actually, it's now inflationguy.blog. Um, I'm at inflation underscore guy on Twitter. You can download the Inflation Guy mobile app, visit Enduring Investments, and express your opinion. But most of all, defend your money. Now, lots of people coming after it. Defend your money. And if inflation is coming for you, remember, you know a guy. <laughs>